Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Hummer, I don't know if you knew this, but the greatest Cincinnati Bearcat basketball player to ever play at University of Cincinnati, my personal favorite, Trey Scott, was on campus today with a handful of other Bearcat legends mentorship playing some bass some pickup basketball games you already know what that means this is one of the greatest days to be a cincinnati bearcat basketball fan and and let us not forget here hummer that the greatest cincinnati bearcat athlete going right now is dominating the olympics that's right dominating the world at her sport jordan thompson ladies and gentlemen Make sure you're checking her out as she plays right now for the USA volleyball team and absolutely dominated their first game against Argentina. Um, it's It makes you proud as a Cincinnati Bearcat graduate, alumni, fan, whatever it may be. Uh, she is something special. Hummer, this was supposed to be a bye week. We were supposed to not be recording this week, but given everything that's happening in the college sports landscape as it pertains to realignment, it's interesting enough to, to, to warrant a conversation. So who did we call? Who did we call, Hummer? Who do you call when you want to talk college football realignment, when you want to speak to someone with good, who uses good words and is filled with, Alien filled hunter. with class? Alien hunter. Who, who did we call, Hummer? Alien hunters would be, would be who I would call um, this particular alien hunter. Also, um, you know, at one point or another was maybe, maybe looking to get involved with Mars law. I don't know. Um, you like to use the, the white paper with the red border. Um, but you know, he, he brings a strong sense of emotion and he brings a certain level headedness to the conversation. Um, I mean, just listen to your you voice know, as you introduce him. One, You're so only, calm. You're so tranquil when describing this man. One, the only, Bernard Fox. Let's get to it. Without further ado, the soothsayer of the Cincinnati Bearcats, Brian Fox. We are now joined by a friend of the podcast, multiple time guest. Mr. Brian Fox has returned to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast to have a, a conversation with two I should have asked you, Brian. Are you are you ready to start? Do you need more time? I'm ready, man. Okay. I was born ready. Okay. For conference realignment, I get out of bed ready. Okay. Uh, for those just listening in audio version, which is, is frankly the only version we we release, Brian, it seems to be peru- you know, scroll strolling through a hallway right now, a corporate office. Is this the new place of employment? The the this place is. where your first day of work went well? This is, yes. Uh, I was not bullied. Um Thank goodness. And uh, so far, so good. Lots lots to transition, lots of all that stuff that ordinarily accustoms a uh, large work relocation, but I'm excited. We're excited that you've made some time for us and are, and are taking, you know, however many minutes out of your, your evening here tonight to uh, step away from the law. If you ever do. I- well, I have you calendared for about four hours tonight, so <laughs> whatever it takes. Four hours and some breaking news. Here we go. 
Well, Brian, we know that you're someone with um, with very strong opinions about the University of Cincinnati athletics, and you're you're quite the fan of college sports as a whole. And given what's happening and, and the conversations that are starting with Ohio or with Oklahoma and Texas deciding to take their talents elsewhere outside of the Big 12, likely heading for the SEC. Just wanted to touch base, touch base with you and see how you think, uh, what you're thinking about everything, how it might impact UC, um, dealing with this new reality of realignment in itself, which, which does evoke some conflicting feelings within myself as it is. But kind of broadly speaking here, what's your, what's your initial kind of broad take on, on how things are playing out here with realignment? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, it's for for those of us who have been less than delighted by our present conference restraints. Um, I think it provides an interesting opportunity, assuming, of course, that we do not get left out again, right? So this is like this is like the worst musical chairs experience possibility uh, one could ever imagine. It's one thing to to watch former conference foes like Louisville and West Virginia end up um, you know with a with a with a nice seat when the music stops and it's an altogether different thing um, to see that happen once more. So I am excited by the possibility of us joining uh, the ACC or the Big 12, or us using the current vehicle of the American Athletic Conference to gobble up some of uh, the value that remains in the Big 12. Um, that's an exciting proposition, but let's just say I'm cynical, given uh, my experience the last time. That's about where I'm at. Is I, f- I feel a little bit more cynical at the moment, especially because of the the wild just completely outside the box ideas that are sort of floating around here with mergers between your, and these are all alleged mergers and potential mergers, but AAC, the, the ACC joining us, making a super conference with the SEC as proposed by Jay Billis on ESPN, which feels, feels important mostly because Jay Billis is an employee of ESPN and it feels like ESPN itself is a huge player behind the scenes and how everything's playing out here with Texas and and Oklahoma, but also the idea of the remaining big 12 teams, you know, a big portion of them peeling off and merging with the PAC 12. It just feels, as you mentioned, it feels a bit tenuous. If you're the Bearcats who are already outside looking in, it does feel like there is a great opportunity to now get in whatever that in becomes. Um, But it also feels like where things are heading with these sort of quote unquote super conferences that it's it's going to be a, a quite the quite the ordeal just to get in that conversation for joining one of these leagues. Yeah, and I think anyone who t- who suggests otherwise, like they have they have a real good window into what might happen, they're crazy because I would I would submit that the only two universities who have any idea what's in what's ahead are, are the University of Texas and Oklahoma. Um, And that's because they've been intentional about, you know, setting their destination for the, you know, the SEC. So, so they are, they're the first movers in all of this realignment talk. 
presumably they've had extensive negotiations with SEC member schools. So I guess you could argue that that conference, excluding Texas A&M, which apparently wants no part of <laughs> Texas joining the SEC, um, they, they're the only ones who have a real handle on what is to come. And, you know, the Big 12 clearly has no idea what to do. They're sending out, please don't leave me, girl, uh, tweets and messages that they're there, what do we have to change? You know, if you're, if it's the furniture, I'll go get new furniture. If, it, if, if you want me to go get another job, I'll get a second job. They're doing whatever they can to keep the girl and, uh, or girls in this case, and, and neither, neither gal's interested in sticking around. Um, and it's, it's, a. Uh, let's just say, you know, the, 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 the Iowa states of the world who once looked down their nose at the University of Cincinnati during uh, BCS bowl selection last year, um, the, their chickens have come home to roost because, you know, I don't, I just don't, there's so many teams and universities like Iowa State, like Illinois, like, you know, so many of these other air quote power five teams in these power conferences that really don't compete at, you know, an elite level in those conferences. They're never vying for the conference title in football. Um, and, and they're just, you know, they're routinely viewed as a solid win for the top tier teams and that's it. And so maybe they offer academics, maybe they offer another W on the schedule for the more elite brands of that conference um, but they've all, I think, looked down their noses at those of us in the G5 world and have thought less of us. And, and realistically, the, the line separating the University of Cincinnati and Iowa State University, there is no line, not even hyphenated. Um, we would compete against them in both, in both basketball and, and football, and we would win most of those matches. Um, and and, and while they may be an uh, AAU school, you know, that, that acronym has been thrown out a lot based on academics. It, there was a lot of talk about that back when uh, Mr. Ono was the president. Um, you haven't heard much about it since. You know, yeah, their academics, may they may have some additional credentialing or what have you, but I mean, realistically, does any does any top rate, top flight employer care whether you went to Iowa State or the University of Cincinnati? I mean, it's not, it, it's not like Iowa State is the, is the Stanford of Iowa, okay? Um, Iowa State is the Iowa State of Iowa, and nobody really cares. Uh, they really don't. I didn't necessarily have Iowa State pegged to catch the first strays on this podcast, but congrats to you, Iowa State. You're the... I'm Going hard at Ames. I am going hard at Ames, Iowa. I think that's where it is. Who knows? I believe you're I correct. Mean, I hear Iowa State, and they're like, oh, well, they, they would be a great candidate for the Big Ten because they're an AAU institution. Like, you already have a team in Iowa in the Big Ten. Does the Big Ten want two teams from the very populous state of Iowa representing the conference when there's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of universities that have that AAU designation? Um, it's not like Iowa's the only one. I think the issue with the Big Ten right now is that 
it's not bringing Iowa state into the conference doesn't actually enhance their value enough that it actually makes expansion less profitable for them. You know, like the, the whole idea for expansion for the sec and the reason why Texas and Oklahoma are such big once regardless of where Texas would compete at this level where they're at is because it's Texas. They own the state of Texas in terms of eyeballs. Oklahoma owns the state of Oklahoma in eyeballs. They, they draw people. So it makes the SEC's TV deal more valuable where if you're looking at the big 10 options, there's not a whole lot out there that you're instantly going to say, you know what, this is going to bring in an additional $70 million of, of revenue per year to this, to this TV deal. And so like looking down on Iowa state, yeah, I'll look down on you. You already have another school in your state. That's bigger than you. Like you are, you are the, you are basically the Cincinnati to Ohio state in your fucking state. And it's a tiny state. It is. It is interesting. One of these reports from CBS, um, they had a quote from in 2016, an Iowa state athletic director by the name of Jamie Pollard, who, who made a statement apparently saying the big 12 exists because we have Texas and Oklahoma in the room. If we take Texas and o Oklahoma out of the room, we're the Mountain West Conference. The report goes on to say that upwards of 50 to 75% of the value of the Big 12 is lost when Oklahoma and Texas take their talents to the SEC. So it really is, it does feel a bit like a death blow to the Big 12 potentially. Um, and it, But it also feels like they were very aware of this situation um, Back in 2016, when when you've got other athletic directors calling it what it is and saying this whole conference is is based upon the value that these two specific schools bring to our conference, and if we lose them, uh, what do they really have? Yeah, and and you know, with it's not that there's no value left. I mean, Oklahoma State is a you know is a valuable institution to add because they've got. T Boone Pickens money. And when you've got, when you've got that old oil money, there's, there are a few limits um, that, you know, they also have West Virginia, which serves as a great companion school to the university of Cincinnati, given our proximity to each other. So it, when you think about other conferences that we might be uh, hawking our wares to, you know, the ACC would be chief among those as would, you know, a reconstituted Big 12. And if you're the Big 12, you know, what, what do you do? Um, you know, you've got, you've got a big brand like Kansas in basketball that does not, you know, uh, is not a perennial performer on the gridiron. And so there's tons of value on the, on the hard court, but we all know that the revenues is primarily driven on, you know, on the football field. You've got, um, you've got Oklahoma state, which I just mentioned, you've got West Virginia, which, um, you know, is it, it's a good institution. Um, you've got Baylor, which is tucked down in Waco and, you know, their, their story, I think just like Texas Christian university's story is one that, you know, they, they largely rode the coattails of the university of Texas and the big 12 success. The only reason that those schools, both of those schools are in, you know, are in the conversation is because of their, their, uh, the opportunity that the big 12 conference provided them. And, you know, going forward, how, how valuable are each of those institutions? And, you know, does, 
does it make sense for them to head to the Pac-12 or will the Pac-12 even be interested in adding them? Does the Pac-12 want to grow? Um, you know, there, there's, there's so much up in the air that I, I'm sure that right now John Cunningham and uh, many of the folks on his team are doing everything they can to try to create a game theory to, to kind of scope out what could possibly take place and where's the wisest and safest course for the University of Cincinnati to, to advocate for, you know, is it, um, do we have the relationships necessary to push for ACC inclusion or invitation? Do we have the, the resources and relationships necessary to push for big 12, um, you know, in, inclusion and admission? Um, or is, 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 has the, has the cash camel of the American athletic conference finally arrived such that, that we go from G five to P five in one fell swoop by adding some of these schools that are hanging out there in, in the balance and wondering what's next for the big 12. I do think that what remains of the big 12, which is really eight schools, the big eight, there's not enough there. To, to justify being considered a, a power five conference. Um, surely they understand that and they don't think we're just going to move forward in the absence of those two universities, like nothing ever happened. So um, well, Bob I, think Bowles, it's clear. I think it's clear that they don't see that just because right. of the fact that you've already heard that Kansas is reaching out, being proactive to, to the big 10, you know, you have, you have schools reaching out to see what the next step is. I think their first option is option a is, Let's see if we can get out like this is over. And then the rest of the schools that they can't get out are going to come back and say, okay, option B with Cincy, Houston, UCF, uh, Memphis, would some of those schools want to leave the American athletic conference and come over. And then I'd probably, that's where, you know, I think the AAC has a little bit of a flip the script on them and say, no, why don't you guys come over here and we're going to dip out on we're going to kick out maybe a couple of the bottom members of our conference if we if we need to make room for some of these other schools aka ECU um you know Tulsa you know and you know it's it's a it's a reality that that could happen it's been discussed in the past if you're not holding up the standards of the conference that you you leave but what we have and I think this was um Justin Williams point was it Justin Williams I could be giving him credit for something that's not his but um Basically, because we have a solo deal, we only basically have a deal with ESPN. It puts us in a good spot when it comes to negotiating that we're not going to be bringing in both ESPN and like a Fox deal, which is the way they currently have it set up with the Big 12. And, you know, they put, I think I saw some estimates that if they were to do that, it would basically double what we're getting paid. So it's not like it's a crazy amount. We're not going to be tapping ACC money. We're not going to be tapping into Big 10, but it's still it definitely puts us on a solid leg up in terms of being, all right, if there are still five power conferences, this could still be one. Yeah. So many I, Texas know, schools though. I, I don't know how, I feel like the, the process for onboarding new member institutions is easier than it is to expel member institutions. And I haven't looked at the specific bylaws but I feel like there has to be a pretty profound failure or shortcoming on behalf of the member institution in order to justify getting rid of them. And the last thing we want to do is expand the American Athletic Conference by just adding 
you know, some of those great schools and then them <laughs> be saddled with the unfortunate opportunity to have to travel to, to play Tulsa in November um, or, you know, to face the mighty Tulane Green Wave. You know, like th those things, the, the bottom end of our conference is inarguably way worse than the Big 12s than everyone on the Big 12. There's probably four or five schools you could throw a rope around and say, all of these folks are awful. And there's just no way that we can build a future with them among our mix. Um, and so I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how the AA, how we could just go out and try to gobble up institutions and then expel other institutions when to me the cleanest and probably you know least expensive path is just to to form a new conference entirely i was wondering about the the idea of expelling certain teams from or schools from different conferences and i, I have to assume that the, the logistics the involved in getting rid of them is the only reason why vanderbilt is still around in the sec right like i I am curious why why a school like that is still hanging around uh, when when there's clearly better options for them in, in that conference specifically. I got the idea though because um, Temple was voted out of the Big East. And how? What year was that? Like two thousand two. Okay. Two thousand one. We just need to to expand <laughs> that approach by four x for our conference and then bring on everybody else and then still remain in a situation where we're probably uh, a very fragile conference at best at that point, it would seem. That's my big thing. I don't, I'm definitely not someone who understands all of the, all the inner workings of sports media rights deals and how they impact who goes where and strategically how conferences think. Um, but my, I, I just worry that if, if our best, it does seem like an improvement if we end up in a conference with some of the big 12 leftovers financially, it seems like that's going to still be an improvement for our situation, but it does feel like maybe the worst outcome of the best outcomes. If you, if well, you know what I'm saying. Well, in, in the, the, I think the big 12's media rights deal said expire in 2025. I mean, that's, that's when everyone I think had tentatively pinned for, you know, conference realignment. That's when they thought all of those, you know, more plenary discussions or more, you know, thorough conference realignment discussions would occur, you know, or, or begin. And this, I think, came as a shock to everybody that it's uh, happening so fast. Um, and it's, it's, it's clever that the SEC either reached out to start this or, you know, it, it does sound like ESPN was behind all of this and it's just so it's, it's really clever. And the big 12 got caught standing flat footed for sure. Um, and it, it, it's clear that Bob Bolsey is way out of uh, the current of discussions about how to be strategic and successful. And they banked a ton of money last year. If you look at how much money they made, um, those member institutions made during last season. Now, a lot of that was driven by, you know, Texas's hall, some of their own Longhorn network. Um, so they kind of scaled it a little bit differently than some of the other member institutions. But um, I've got to think that the media deal 
that the Big 12 has in place far exceeds what the AAC has. And so just in terms of, you know, uh, between now and 2025, they would seem to have the best landing spot for us financially. Um, and, and I'm not sure whether if I would expect that. I would expect ESPN is going to go and renegotiate that deal. I, yes. I think that's, that's the thing. And I think, and I was going to add this, my question to you is I, do you think it's like super strategy that ESPN goes back and says to Texas and Oklahoma, kind of like, Hey, if we want this to work, you guys have to partner together. You have to forget about OSU. Like they're gone. We can't make this work with them. But if you two leave, the conference will implode and you will not have anything that you owe to the big 12. Uh, there, I mean, it's clear that there is a four-dimensional game of chess being played. I hate to use that phrase. And um, and 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 Bob Bowles, Bowlesy, Bowlesy, Bowlesy is playing Connect Four. He's not even playing chess. Connect Four is probably too much credit. Elite um, game, though. Elite game. Very elite game. I I wonder. All he had to do we, was go first. Do we actually do we actually expect that Texas and Oklahoma won't start playing in the SEC until 2025? Because no everything I've heard is that usually once you once you make this type of move, it ends quickly. Like they at the at the latest, they're probably playing in the SEC starting 2023, for example. Next year. It next happens. Year. Next year. Okay. Yeah. I, I think this whole um name, image, and likeness, you know, freedom that that just occurred, that change in and sports has it's it's just going to play a big role. I mean, when you look at a quarterback for Alabama who can make a million dollars a year and just um, that changes recruiting, that changes uh, it, it also changes maybe Alabama's ability to generate revenue from you know sponsors and donors as well. So I think that there's kind of a seismic shift going on in the you know, player world of the NCAA football, college football experience. But beyond that, there's, I think they start playing in 2022 because you're just talking about Astro dollars that are going to be available to this conference now. I mean, it's a super conference. There's no arguing that, you know, that out of that conference, you can reasonably anticipate that the national championship game contender is going to come from it. Maybe both. Maybe two. Um, what I do think is funny is that Texas is going to get boat raced a whole bunch in that conference, and they don't even realize how far behind they are um, in, in term, you know, in terms of success in in football. Like they're they're going to. They thought it was hard to to face West Virginia on the road. Just wait till they get Auburn. Yeah, um, wait till they face Kansas again this year. You know, it's going to be a tough one for them. Right, right. Well, they've got the man to lead them into the SEC and Steve Sarkeesian. You know, that's a guy who's definitely going to get it done. There's no risk there. He's he's a must-have, guaranteed, right. surefire. You know, he, he knows the SEC. He was on Saban's rehabilitation staff. That's right. I think we actually talked about that in the past, and now he's he's bringing it home to the SEC um, in, a, in a year or two. You know. It's it is a fallout from this will be, you know, just a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, we all were getting excited about the idea of a playoff expansion, moving it up to 12 teams, 
what that means for team uh, programs like Cincinnati in, in terms of competing and, and making the college football playoff in the future, but also being able to, you know, offer a path for a coach of Luke Fickle's stature to say, Hey, when I go out and visit players now, I can, I can look them in the eye and say, we have a legitimate path here to compete for a national championship at the university of Cincinnati. There's no doubt in my mind at this point that that is completely tabled at this point, because you can't actually figure out what a playoff system looks like without knowing the final outcome of conference alignment and how many super conferences there are. And I, it feels like Texas and Oklahoma don't go to the sec if the playoff system is continuing to function as it does now, or even with the 12 team playoff, like that seems to completely be scrapped in this case. And I do wonder where it goes from here. Well, with four conferences, you only need four spots. Wouldn't they be less inclined to, I mean, they're already not inclined to share spots with, with programs like Cincinnati and, and quote unquote G five programs. But with, if you're, Look how stacked the SEC is now. In a, in, in a way, Oklahoma and Texas would be diminishing their chances at making the college football playoff in the future by joining the SEC. So what would be the next step in terms of making it more? They don't want to lose those opportunities is what I'm saying. Like, I don't see them going to the SEC foregoing the consistent appearances in the college football playoff that Oklahoma has had in the Big 12 how are they going to balance that? How are they going to change that format so that they st the SEC can load up with five, six teams in a playoff format? Yeah, I, I think I think with this change and with the resulting change that's going to occur, not only among you know the Big Twelve, the AAC, the ACC. I don't know if the Big Ten changes. I really don't. Um, yeah, I think I think it's reasonable to expect that the current college football playoff selection process has got to change as well. Um, you know, it's funny because you've got this year, right? You've got 2021. I think, I think those schools bolt to the sec next year. And I mean, it's not like money paying an exit fee is going to really be a problem. Um, so they're going to pay the exit fee. I mean, they're paying Steve Sarkeesian, uh, you know, the, the GDP of, you know, Ukraine in order to coach <laughs> a, a middling Texas program. So I think you're, you're, you're looking at them bolting next year and everything kind of uh, morphing and changing because you're, you know, there's been all this talk about these super conferences that are going to emerge out of this, you know, there being four, you know, like a Pac-12, an SEC, and then an ACC, and a Big Ten. And I could see that. I mean, I really could see there being a, a profound shuffling. But I don't – I look at the Big Ten, and I don't see a lot of schools that make a ton of sense for them. Um, maybe Kansas. Uh, there's been speculation that Cincinnati was thought about or considered. I don't see that. Um, because there is some academic snobbery that occurs in some of those big 12, big 10 institutions that, you know, be it as it, whatever it is. Um, so I, I think you're, you're talking about a scenario where we are desperately hoping 
that the ACC or the big, you know, uh, or the new big 12 or whatever it's called thinks that we're pretty enough. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. I, I, I'm envisioning a world where the golf between the G5 and P5 and whatever, whatever that looks like post realignment is going to be more stark than ever and more exclusionary than ever. And so if you are left, if this game of musical chairs stops and we're on the outside looking in again, it feels like a much uglier reality this time, just based on how things are playing out here, based on how these conferences are loading up. There's just no way, shape or form. They're going to be sharing any of that pie uh, or any chairs with, with a, with a program like Cincinnati or anybody outside of the, whatever those power conferences look like. You agree, Hummer? Were you daydreaming? Uh, was <laughs> chicken Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, any any final thoughts on this topic that we want to hit on uh, before I we get to? I'm going to give Brian a chance to swoon over Wes Miller. And all of the uh, the kumbaya kumbaya happiness we're experiencing with the Bearcat basketball program. Um, as I of think late. the the last final like thought I have is basically going on, and maybe this is what you were actually asking me. Um, you have all of these conferences back in the day that were very regionally focused. They were all about you know playing each other. You know, you get to have fun shitting on the teams of the people that you actually go to school or actually work with or actually live in the community that you're from, you know, you get to drive to these games that were relatively close. You know, you're, you're not going all over the place. Like we're not, I'm not going down to a game regularly in Dallas, Texas as a Cincinnati fan, right? Even when, even if we got into the dream conference of the ACC, that'd be much better for us because we do get our regional partners back in Louisville. Hell, even the SEC wouldn't be too bad if we get to strike up a rivalry again with, with UK, but you know, with what they're doing to the conferences, if you look at the Big 12, it started off with what was the Southwest Conference, which was basically all of Texas playing against all of Texas. And you hear uh, there's a nice little Reddit thread over on, on the college uh, football playoff subreddit. And there's a TCU fan going in there. Now. He's like, I loved it so much. He loved it. And then when they, you know, as they started to slowly rip it apart, he hated it more and more and more to the point where he's like, you know, it's nothing against, you know, me going and playing us going and playing another power five conferences or in team and beating them. And that is just, I don't feel the need to talk shit about you or hate you because you're not Texas A&M. You're not Baylor. You're not, you know, you're not in that conference. And so football, college football has always to me been, you know, kind of a regional thing. Like it's so fun. And every time that we have gotten to play Ohio state, it's a lot of fun. You know, playing West Virginia was a lot of fun in the Big East. Playing Pitt, that was incredible. You only drove four hours away to go watch uh, Cincinnati Pitt essentially play a the, – the was it the only Big East de facto championship game ever? But that was so much freaking fun. And when you see this getting destroyed solely for, for the greed of the institutions that are involved, you know, it's a shame. And I think that's the that's the biggest loss in all of this that's being overlooked is that if this morphs in into the NFL 2.0 people, I think some people are just going to end up tuning out because if you're, if there's only going to be 64 schools or so, you know, if it's four big conferences and there's 64 teams involved, the rest of them get knocked out and the regionality of it is lost. 
you know, it's going to lose its luster. And at that point, why am I watching some kid, you know, playing at, at Texas when I can go watch the best of the best on Sunday in Joey Burrow? I'm glad you brought this up. I forgot to hit on it. Just the fact that of, of how it feels separate from the game theory um, for what's going to happen in terms of which, which school goes where and how do these super conferences align? It does all feel a bit yucky to me. Um, it's a bit disenchanting in terms of what you kind of uh, think college sports should be about. But Brian, you hit on it on briefly. The NIL going through and getting past seems to have just uh, maybe it kind of eliminated the facade and there's no need to sort of play that play that game anymore about pretending to be about amateur sports and they're just going full out grab as much money as possible let's do it no reason to hide it anymore um but it just does it, it doesn't really feel like the spirit of the game matters an iota anymore right like these these moves are all financially driven it's probably naive to think that it was any ever di any different than that at any point in history but when you see kind of what happened, Chris Vanini did a good article on this. I thought at the athletic about making the comparison to the super league talk out in Europe with these soccer clubs where fans saw that happening and just completely um, pushed back against it, protested uh, vehemently fought against any sort of semblance of a super league, which I think many soccer fans and diehard soccer fans would tell you that's going to happen at some point in the future because the money's just too great. But here, we sort of just accept it as it's a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen. There's nothing we can do to fight it and moving on. Like, let's just play into the game, get in the best conference situation you can um, just accept it for what it is. So, yeah, my, uh, I agree with that. I, I agree that there is some measure of, you know, I don't know, negativity or, or, the realignment along financial premises uh, and with financial motivations spoils the, the more pure product of the game. I agree with that sentiment. My problem, however, is that um, what it will actually end up doing is it'll deprive those of us who don't get included in the process while benefiting those other schools who do end up, you know, as a part of that process. Like, yes, it will kill the sport of college football for a whole lot of us who, you know, those of us, let's say, hypothetically in this sort of enormous realignment process, the University of Cincinnati were to get left out. If that were to happen, you know, it, it won't necessarily diminish the sport of college football um, universally. It'll just really suck for us. And yeah, I think there's something to be said. And, and this is why I don't think and why I hope that that won't ultimately happen is because there, there's just too much value that a university and a team like the University of Cincinnati provides to the college football landscape that there's that you can't, you cannot entirely box us out. You're going to have to have some form of a, a G5 automatic qualifier or something that allows great schools like ours and, and maybe like a BYU's or 
some of these schools that may not qualify or may not be the bell of the ball in conference realignment, but that everyone can universally acknowledge, hey, they matter for the sport. It means something. Um, and so I don't know. So I, so I have, I have the same measure of, you know, I have a measure of pe pessimism about it all, but I also have a measure of hope knowing that, you know, the more folks that are engaged and bought in to the sport of college football, the better it is as a whole. And, um, and I do think that schools like ours add an intrinsic and significant value that may not immediately meet the eye, but that I think most folks who are either in the, you know, in the media um, or who have interacted with our school enough um, will know that, that there's, there's something really sad that will be lost about the sport if we were to be entirely excluded from the process. I feel like the ship has sailed in terms of setting up this sort of ideal system to include all college football, right? I know we're clowning on East Carolina and Tulane and the smaller schools, but there is something fantastic about college sports where these programs have their own passionate followings of these smaller programs. And sure, they're not as good, but there is something, I don't know, it just feels, it feels right that you would somehow keep these schools feeling like they're fighting for and playing for something into the future. College football, the more I've thought about it over time would have been the perfect setup, the perfect candidate for a promotion relegation setup with multiple conferences. You have this sort of elite power conference with the top 10, 12 teams, and then you kind of move it down from there. But year after year, you would have the opportunity as a smaller school to play your way into a bigger conference and from there building yourself up. So it, it feels like it actually would have been this harmonious kind of perfect system where the rich can stay rich. You have these extremely powerful conferences at the top that have these valuable TV deals. And if you're a smaller school, that's sort of what you're trying to work toward. And so if you're, you know, the university of Cincinnati with Luke fickle, you have this fast rising program that year after year is starting to work its way up into the premier football leagues in, in college football that ship has sailed. We're never going to get anything like it. That's something that is kind of fantasy land talk. But oh, I do. Sure. Think I, about I, that in like the late, the late, what would be the late two thousands, you know, with USC when they were top dog and then they start falling off the map. Right. And they, they, they're, they're falling and falling and falling. And, you know, the last couple of years, they basically been obscured. They definitely would have, you know, been a team that falls out, but then you had Cincinnati kind of like in the mid, in the mid two thousands, we start rising up you know, we start getting, we get Mark Antonio, then we get Brian Kelly and, and we kind of had that peak for a little bit there. And who knows where, where that would have gotten you, you know, I think that would have been a lot of fun. I just don't think depending on who's driving the conversation, because if there's four super conferences, what's, what is the NCAA's role in all this? I don't see the NCAA being a part of the process anymore. They don't have a role. They don't want a role. I think that, that Mark Emmert has said as much where he just doesn't want to have any sort of, and it's not just Mark Emmert, but I mean, the, the NCAA body wants to decentralize. They want the conferences sort of operating as their own individual entities. And and you saw that with, with COVID and making conferences kind of make their own rules as they went well, that's, and, and that's not standardizing point. it. That's yeah. my point. They're, they're going to do that. And they, they those conferences want nothing to do with a Cincinnati 
if we're not included in the in one of those big conferences, they don't want a group of five team in their playoff. That's been made very, very obvious and clear with, through their whole selection committee, which is set up by by for and by the teams in the Power Five conference. And you bet your ass the next one will be set up for and by the teams of the Power Four, if that's what it goes down, or two of the Super League. They're not going to, I don't think it's going to get to the point where we're going to say, you know what, we need to do this for the, for the sake of the sport. Maybe ESPN comes and does that because ESPN paid a billion dollars for our media rights. You know, so they do see some, there's obviously some value there for them, but it's very obvious that the power schools do not want us involved in the process. Yeah. And I don't know that it's that the power schools don't want us involved in the process as much as they don't want anybody who is a competitor involved in the process, right? They don't, they don't, you know, it's personal to UC. It doesn't, it's yeah, not personal uh, yeah. to Cincinnati. <laughs> it, they, they feel the same way about, you know, if the big 10 were to gain more market share or, you know, this move to add uh, Texas and Oklahoma is, is undoubtedly anti-competitive. They, they don't want the big 12 to be viable and sustainable. That's why they're removing, you know, as a competitor, the two biggest players from that, hoping to cut the knees out from underneath that conference. And, um, and again, because we've long abandoned the idea or the, the sweet and sentimental notion that any of this is about student athletes and uh, academics and any of that. There's way too much money at stake. These folks are fighting over who, you know, making sure that they're not the last dog at the bowl and hopefully fighting to ensure that they're the first dog at the bowl. And they see it as a way of, um, doing their jobs well of protecting um, the, the university presidents and coaches and administrators that are affiliated with their their conferences and and maybe even their student athletes and the fallout be damned. I don't think that they're concerned much with any sort of you know harmony in college football. In fact, I think what they might unknowingly be doing is you know, is very short-sighted. We, we don't really know what will happen with, and not to be, you know, too boogeyman out there kind of guy, but we have no idea what the SEC with those two programs will look like. And we don't know what, you know, the dominoes that they started are going to, you know, where that eventually leads. And they don't know. And, and this is all a case of first impression for everybody. And I think, they're just acting out of uh, greed, self-interest, ambition. Um, yeah, I mean, they can wrap it in, you know, again, in, in pleasantries like uh, for the sport of football and for the, the, the sport of, you know. For, for the for sake the, of our student athletes. and Yeah, <laughs> they can wrap it in that as much as they want. I just don't think that any of that is credible um, given what's actually taken on you know, going on behind the scenes and, and, and I'm, I'm not sitting here with a moral framework. Uh, I'm not in a position to necessarily judge the, the morality or immorality of it. You know, it's just like, we're, we're just left here to react and hope to God the university of Cincinnati doesn't get left out in this process. If Cincinnati is put in, this whole thing is completely morally justifiable if UC is left out of the process, this is a clear and present danger to society. It needs to be stopped at the highest level 
we need to utilize all avenues of the courts that we can. This needs to be put in front of the Supreme Court and argued for. Uh, it would be a complete and utter travesty. Uh, it shouldn't be allowed. Amen. That, that's, in effect, that's how I see it. And I'm guessing that's how any other school that gets left out is going to see it. And, um, and look, I don't think, you know, <laughs> when you look at what the NCAA, the, the case law that they have um, unwittingly allowed to advance, you know, the Supreme Court and um, the name, image and likeness, case that was before it not too long ago, they were pretty clear in, in, in communicating that the NCAA has engaged in anti-competitive, antitrust Sherman, violet, Sherman Act violative behaviors. And so whatever happens in terms of realignment, I think the folks in charge would be wise to consider that just because you're not the NCAA doesn't mean that you can't also be found liable of the same shortcomings in your processes, right? Because you, you know, if you, you know, become in effect the the new organizing organization or conference or conferences, and by linking arms together with each other and crowding out competition, you. Um, you advance your economic interests to the exclusion of others, you're, you're, you're in the hot zone. And so you ought to think carefully and wisely about that. Uh, just as the NCAA, the extent it plays any role in overseeing this process would, would be wise to be careful as it allows these conferences to realign and reorganize to make sure that they're not crowding out specific institutions that are going to suffer significant and profound financial harm if they're left out of the process. Sounds like a threat. It is. Good. I mean, let's yeah. not forget that the NCAA as an institution brings in over a billion dollars a year. Yes. <laughs> and get claimed as a nonprofit. Well, I right. wanted to, I wanted to kind of wind down the podcast on a much more positive topic or something that we're a little bit more certain on. And so. Can I ask the first right. question on this one? Sure. Go ahead. Who's the uh, sexier man, Wes Miller or Luke Fickle? It, Luke is not even close. And, and, um, and it's not because I, I don't like Wes. I think Wes is a lovely guy. It, it's just there's, there's an aesthetic thing going on with Coach Luke that would be really hard for anyone to come near. I mean, just the guy's chiseled out of stone, big, hulking shoulders. Um, so, you know, and, and Wes, Wes certainly uh, is the Energizer Bunny, right? He's got, he's got gravitas. He's a great salesman. Um, I mean, do you see his chiseled jawline, though? Great jawline. I mean, he has great some 90 degree angles there. Yeah, great jawline. And Fickle's 47, less than three years away from, from hitting that 50 mark. And there's a certain raw sexiness that comes with a man that approaches 50 years old. So it, there's a little bit of an unfair advantage, I'll say, in terms of yes. Fickle versus West Miller. Let's let's be let's be fair and clear on that on that front. And he's been putting in handsome reps here for a long time now, and so I'm not about I'm not about to let uh, a new basketball coach just immediately compete for that title. 
I'll put him on Team Handsome. Okay. He's on Team Handsome, but I can't make him a captain. I can't yet. Is Luke Fickle the sole captain? Are there other ca- captains on Team Handsome? He's the sole captain. Yeah. <laughs> sole captain. Yeah. How yeah. are you feeling about Wes Miller though and, and his first you know hundred plus days at the helm? It's been it's been a lot of a lot of uh slaps on the back, a lot of happiness, a lot of um I would say just overall positive. What's the word I'm looking for? What's that uh they use it for presidents, like approval ratings? The approval rating for Wes Miller is, oh, is he has like a, he has like a 98, 99 percent approval rating right it's now. It's in the 90s right now. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I can't point to a single misstep. He hasn't made it. He hasn't made, he hasn't committed a single unforced error. I mean, everything has been good, positive. We're vibing. Everybody's vibing. We're all feeling it. Now the question that is, is presently in the back of my mind is despite all of these good vibrations that we're all feeling, can a guy coach basketball? Right. I mean, all of this initial honeymoon stuff is about promotion. It's about marketing. I mean, the team clearly appears to have a a greater affinity for the team and for him and for the culture. All of those things are clicking and it's it's lovely to behold, especially by comparison to he who shall not go named. Um, But, you know, at some point you got to lace up the sneakers and play other teams and we'll see, we'll see how he does. We'll see what kind of, um, you know, what kind of system he runs, you know, with his offense and and his defense, how he makes in game adjustments. We'll see. um, We'll see what he does with his talent and with his roster. Does he maximize the talent that he has on his roster? Does he trot out homegrown favorites that, that uh, may or may not be nephews. Who knows? I don't know what he's going to do. Um, you said, but I'm interested. You, you, you just quickly hit on it and you said, we'll see what kind of system he runs. And immediately I just, a cold shiver ran, ran down my spine. <laughs> yeah. So far, the thing that's jumping off the page with me, that was like, you are seeing more former players than ever being involved with the program like interacting with the current head coach. Like I love the one from Gary Clark a couple of days ago. Uh, where are you at? I need to see this jumper. I've been hearing about LOL at coach West Miller. I'm like, all right, that's, that's awesome. Gary Clark's at fifth third arena calling out coach Miller. Where's, where's the jump shot. And then you're seeing, I think it was, it was it today. They had a bunch of, bunch of the former players on campus. They had Gary Clark. Um, they had Jacob Evans. Troy, Troy Copain, came room. Obviously, Kyle Washington's already there, and they apparently some of them were in the scrimmage. Like these guys are actually playing pickup with the guys on the team right now. It's good vibes. It's very good vibes. I can't wait for the season to start. There's really not much to criticize at this point. He's winning everything off the court. Do we have video evidence that Wes Miller has a jumper? Oh yeah, there's lots of statistical evidence out there in a Bearcat in a Bearcat. I think we're hearing about it. I think it's sort of a, an urban legend at this point, based on how Gary and others are, are tweeting about it and commenting on it across the interwebs. We heard we heard a lot of you know, you know. rumors with past coaches and stuff didn't didn't come to fruition on the court there. Yeah, I think he he's undefeated in the off season, no question. Um, 
is he, but is he a driving range golfer? Can he, you know, when he gets in the tee box, can he, can he hit the ball and score? I don't know. He certainly has, he has a great track record at, uh, his prior institution of sustained improvement and success. And he has never had, you know, and he had a, he didn't have a brand and he didn't have a platform from which to really compete. So can he connect? Can he create from our platform and our already, you know, uh, strong brand, you know, can he put the, the on, on the court product out there and, and win some games? I don't know. I mean, I, I'll take, I'll take somebody who's a great marketer and promoter over the alternative, obviously at this point. Um, but I hope he's a really good coach and I hope that the good vibes continue through to the seat, you know, to the start of the season. Um, because man, we've, we deserve it. We've been through it. We do. We really do deserve it. And, uh, I, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing the, the product on the court. I think it, it's more than just the X's and O's thing. We've talked about that before, that in basketball, it's getting guys ready to play. What kind of spirit are you creating on the team? The culture actually does matter. Uh, the happiness of the players does matter. And that's the sort of unknown variable that we, we will be unable to quantify until the season starts in terms of how did last season's lack of a vibe impact the performance on the court and we'll, we'll kind of see this coming season as there's a lot of returning players there's also a lot of new faces and uh looking forward to seeing old west miller coach it up on the sideline this season i, I do know I we, got white, we got white dudes jumping out of the gym right now yeah. <laughs> it's like nothing i've seen i mean it, it is the we are the anti-white men can't jump university right now i Mason's improvement in his vertical. And then um, what's his name? Hit the 12 foot club. Jared Hensley hit the 12 foot yeah. club. You know, if you're, if you're a young yeah. white man across America, looking to, <laughs> looking to elevate your uh, vertical to a new level in, in the college space, you seize your place. Uh, All right. Well, any final thoughts on UC football, basketball, or otherwise? I know we've got a few um, active Olympians right now. Jordan Thompson, by the way, absolutely dominated her first game against Argentina. Highly recommend checking her out as she continues with the volleyball team in the Olympics. She's just unbelievable. Like she is world class, truly world class. It turns out she's not just really good and, and good enough to make the Olympic teams. She's the best on their team. Yes. She's the best on a team that may well win gold. This this may be our university's you know greatest level of exposure in in an Olympics ever. Do we put that on the ACC banner? Like, do we put that on the report card when we're saying why you choose us? Like, most dominant female volleyball player. Period. I, I hope if she could be the face of our marketing campaign, we really can't go wrong because she's truly a joy to listen to, to watch play. So I, that's something that I would continue and will continue to follow with the Olympics uh, as well as the other two athletes we've got going for, uh, for Canada on the soccer field. And then who's, we have also a, a hammer throw, Annette. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I'm not going to say it, but it's uh, Annette with the hammer throw. She's, she's going to throw that thing. Anyway, Brian, you got to give it a shot. I will give you the mic. Any final thoughts for the for the folks listening out there? I don't. Um, keep buying season tickets. No, and and give money to your university. Like 
there's no, I will tell you, uh, I was, I was proximate. I was close, relatively close to the discussions last time around. And, um, I wasn't the person having them, but I, I knew those who were, and what I've gathered is that the number of giving units and donor units in our UCATs, uh, and to the broader university was a source of concern the last time the Big 12 was considering the University of Cincinnati. So um, those are really simple things to do. I mean, it's not simple to give money. I, I understand that. It's outrageous when you consider the fact that our endowment is like the 32nd largest endowment for a public university. But yeah, it, it is outrageous. Our endowment is so thick. Yeah. Um, a lot of girls. Yeah. But um, giving money to UCATs is important, as is buying season tickets. Um, this is, I mean, my goodness, can you imagine a better opportunity for us to show how great we are than this year, than this year? We've got Luke Fickle, Desmond Ritter, the, we're going to be playing on the road at Notre Dame at IU. Like we have just a tremendous opportunity before us to demonstrate to these other conferences, just how stinking nice we are, how sweet we are. and. Man, if we capitalize, I, I really think it helps. As much as they'll kick the tires and evaluate how many donors we have and giving units and uh, athletic budget and, and yada, 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 I really think some of those optics are what people, you know, people are making unconscious decisions based on the momentum that universities have. And we, are, we just went toe-to-toe with Georgia and should have won that game. And... Uh, Man, how cool would it be if this season we just catch fire? It's 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 sitting there on a platter for us. We really couldn't ask for a better schedule, a better team, a better opportunity to so, sort of show our stuff this coming season. And and before we let you go, Brian, I wanted to congratulate you again on taking the new job at Bricker and Eckler Law Firm. Um, you called me a few weeks ago. You were seeking advice on sort of which what career path to take next, <laughs> what step to take. Um, you know, I thought, I thought I gave you good advice. You were, it's, it came down to this opportunity at Bricker, but also Mars law. And I was strongly advocating for you to, to go to Bricker and Eckler. I thought it was a great career move for you. You seem to be heavily leaning Mars at the time. Really? Here's, here's what I knew about Mars law is there's such a strong Twitter presence. So it felt for me, it felt very organic and natural. To, to look in that direction. Um, and Bricker was really the dark horse, but they, they put together something that made it made sen- make sense for me. Well, we're happy for you. We're proud of you. Um, really, you, you couldn't be a better advocate in face of, of the uh, University of Cincinnati. So go, Brian. Thank so, you, sir. Now go, yeah. go to foundation.uc.edu, donate in the comment section, type in Cincy Slang and sent you. You get nothing <laughs> for like it. That. It'll make you feel better. All right. You'll feel better about everything. Go and I do like it. That. I like that Hummer. Thanks like Brian that. for uh, hopping on with us tonight. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a good night. See you. See you buddy. See you, buddy.